one thought to give and you're trying to think which is the best way which is the best one and which is the right one you know and um, I was sort of thinking about this as we were worshipping because our, our, the title this morning is Gospel Character uh, for what we're looking at and um, as I've been reading this week I thought to myself well for some people this morning could be quite tough sensitive and raw so this morning comes with a health warning you know really in a sense because Julian just prayed that we might know deep spiritual things that would actually be dealt with this morning that can be quite raw and sensitive Um, and um, as I was thinking about this um, I thought the words came to me we are all a work in progress all right I can't stand hearing condemnation or judgment on any of the things we're going to deal with this morning because they all apply to me as well as everybody else. Um, But we are all a work in progress. You look at the board, the climbing, you know, it's about progressing upwards, isn't it? The whole ethos of the school is about progressing as a child, developing as a person, coming to know more about life and actually excelling in being a person and living a life. Sometimes when it comes to developing our Christian lives, we're not so enthusiastic. You know, we we don't seem to want to excel. Or to, when we get to that difficult bit, to overcome it. When it's raw and sensitive and it's deep in our spirit. And yet the work of God is deep. This morning we should be looking at um, what it is to be free in Christ and know the power of spirit in our lives. And the Bible tells us that the spirit searches the deep things of God. So sometimes when we think we've dealt with something, God says, no, you dig down further, there's really another reason to why this is happening. We might stop lying to certain different people, But if we keep on doing it, there might be something deeper underneath because we had not known someone had constantly lied to us in in our childhood or something. We'd never experienced what the truth was or whatever our parents might have done or we might have lived in that environment where it was always covering up the underlying problem, deep spiritual things. So it's about gospel character this morning and um, Galatians 5, and I'm going to read the whole chapter because it's been some weeks now since we've we've been in Galatians. And um, as I've read it again, I've thought about, you know, Paul said, who's hindered you? Who's cut in on you? It's almost the progression, the progressiveness of their life in Christ stopped or was at threat. Uh, and they, they come to problems, difficulties. You know, what, what should we do now? We, someone else is telling us this, which should we do? And there's conflict. And it's almost as if, you know, progress has been hindered and stopped. And, uh, you know, we've come up to this and, and Paul says, who's cut in on you? You know, who's done this? And sometimes we can be put off. Sometimes we can be put off a of church. Sometimes we put off of growing as a Christian. Sometimes we can be put off of doing what's right. You know, and uh, sometimes it involves what uh, someone else has hurt us. And someone else has said something against us, like you stink, 
you know? But God says to us all, you all stink, as far as I'm concerned. But that's not the way he deals with us. Yeah. He said, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how beautiful they smell. You could smell like that. But uh, there you go. Let's read Galatians 5, shall we? And it begins um, with Paul talking about freedom, telling us what Christ has done, and we actually stand firm in that fact that we're free from all the wrongdoing we've ever done because of Christ. So we start at that place. Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not deal, do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, Factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Gospel character. How do we get from living under the acts of the sinful nature into living with the Holy Spirit and, the, and, and getting the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? Does that character change, isn't there? And we're now about two-thirds away through this letter of Galatians and um, there'd been a deviation by false teachers to the authentic gospel of Jesus Christ, which is what was throwing them off their, off their balance, as it were. And Paul called it a different gospel. It was something enticing you away, something trying to give you something in place of the authentic, something in place of the real. You know, that's what false teaching and alternative teaching does. It knocks us off our balance. It knocks us off our, our stand. It, knocks us, it takes our security away. And with God's help as a church, we try and present balanced truth or truth that doesn't do that. There's lots of religious truth about, you know, um, you know, hail. So you have to say three Hail Marys to do that, you know, or you, you, have, you, have, to bow, you have to bow to the altar um, in a church when you go past it. And um, you have to do this and you have to do that or you have to go and knock on doors to earn your salvation are all additional things and things that we can knock off our perch. And outside the freedom of knowing God's full forgiveness, you know, making additions to what we have. And that's what was happening with these Galatians. In a sense, take this analogy, the recipe for making bread. The recipe says, take so much flour, take so much water, Take so much yeast and a bit of fat and a little bit of sugar and mix it up into a dough and you put it in the oven and you get a lovely loaf of bread, don't you, Sarah? You don't know yet? Okay. Well, there you go. It's easy. The recipe's simple, the recipe's good, and it works. But you see, someone comes along and said, take no notice of that. What you have to do is find the best field in the country, then you have to go and cut the corn yourself, then you have to grind it, then you have to go and mine the salt out of the ground and find out if the salt is okay. And then you have to bring, bring it back and um, go to the cow and milk the cow and make some butter or fat or whatever and, and, and get that and put it aside and, um, and then you have, to, uh, and you have to find some stones and grind your flour. You have to work at it hard. You have to do all that work in order to get your loaf of bread. It's a little bit like this, what, what these false teachers were saying. You have to put it to... They won't accept the sacrifice and the work of others. Do it yourself. Very simple analogy, but the recipe says... Take these ingredients and put them together and you get a lovely loaf. But as others come along and say, well, you can't do it that way. You have to do it all yourself. And we can't. 
Jesus has done it for us. And that's what the Bible tells us. It talks about this freedom to accept the work and the sacrifice of others to use and to create and develop a loaf of bread. The recipe, the ingredients. And so Paul turns on these false teachers. In chapter 1, verse 8, he declares the truth against the elements of false teaching. And he tells them this, and it's quite strong, let them be eternally condemned. Strong, powerful, but not only does he denounce the false teachers, but he also presents the truth. He goes on to present the truth, the way that people can receive it, and the way that people can be blessed by it, you know? And if we get into our Bibles and we soak ourselves in the truth, we shall know the goodness of it. So through Jesus, Paul said as we began that chapter, you know, for freedom Christ has set us free. Free from ritualistic worship and it's real-time liberation, you know, real-time liberation. For some people who all their life, you know, you have to take your shoes off, you know, before you do this and you have to stand in this place and face this way and you have to do this and you have to do that in order to to gain God's favour, it's against that sort of thing that Paul's talking. You know, what Christ has given, you don't have to do anything because he's all done it. But the turn comes in this chapter, doesn't it? You know, it's about gospel character, having sort of denied the, the, the law and trying to keep the elements of it as a way of meriting God's favour, and then going over to the point where we, we believe in trust in Jesus and receive him to be our saviour, we can know this freedom. It's freedom from this ritualistic rule-keeping experience. And it's not only that, but the freedom comes as a supernatural thing to us within our spirits. We not only know of freedom from doing things, but we have this supernatural experience within us that actually frees us from so much. frees us from a sense of guilt and shame. It frees us from a sense of worry concerning the future. And it frees us from the fear of death. Even though we might get afraid, that which is down in our spirits, which is a constant nagging fear about the future and about death, Christ takes that away. And he gives us something blessed and something to look forward to. And so Steve ended up with this freedom. He spoke on freedom. And I just want to use that to begin as a launching pad to go where we're going. Well, in 1941, um, President Roosevelt proclaimed four essential freedoms he believed to be healthy to maintain a balanced society. Freedom of speech everywhere, freedom of worship everywhere, freedom from want everywhere, and freedom from fear everywhere. However, according to the Christian gospel, no person is truly free until Jesus Christ has rid them of their sin and their burden of guilt. And that's a wonderful supernatural thing. And if you're saying, what are you talking about? What, what are you trying to say? I don't understand it. 
it's known spiritually within our spirit when we've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. It's a supernatural thing. Becoming a Christian is a supernatural thing. It's being born again of the Holy Spirit. We couldn't do it. We couldn't do the things to merit God's favor by our working. But we merit God's favor and acceptance by through what Jesus has done alone. And that's the point of freedom. We never know complete freedom until we know him as our saviour. That doesn't mean we won't sometimes feel guilty. We will. Guilt is, is an important thing sometimes if we've done something to upset someone or hurt someone. It's good to have a conscience that it actually sets the tone of our actions and reactions and, say, and be responsible for our actions. We live in a society where people don't seem to want to be responsible for their actions. And that's another thing God gives us, the sense of responsibility, this work in progress. This work in progress within us can really begin when we understand what Jesus has done for us because we can just put it all away and say, I trust in you, Lord Jesus. Here's a searching question. Is my conscience clear before the presence of Almighty God? Good question. It's strange, you know, Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves to cover themselves and attempt to hide from God. And um, I've also had the image in my mind of a picture that I've seen of them with fig leaves around here sort of thing but I think that's an incorrect piece suddenly came to me this morning it doesn't actually tell us what they covered up but I think they tried to sew the fig leaves and cover themselves in order to hide from God that was just the first attempt the second attempt was they hid amongst the trees because they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day in the garden because you know God had said to Adam and Eve, he said, you're free. God opened his world with the prospect of freedom. You're free to eat all of the trees you want to. You can do what you like with it. Be free, enjoy the pleasure of it. But there's one tree you mustn't touch. And the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will, you will know something else as well as good you will experience a falling away. You will experience a, a being cut off from me, which they didn't understand at the time. You, you will experience a lostness. You will experience something you can't explain within you that you're on your own, that you're on your own in the day you eat of it. And isn't it strange how Satan always takes the things that we think we're not allowed to do and make an issue of it, doesn't it? The concept of freedom is taken away by dwelling on things we think are wrong, not good for us. So in those early days, that wasn't progression, was it? But since that time, God's had a great plan of redemption progressively working out in the earth that we might come to know what it is that Adam and Eve originally had. That was a privileged place in the Garden of Eden, a privileged place to be. They had a privileged relationship with God. And they had a privileged time building, Adam naming the animals, 
and tending the earth. It was a privileged place to be. So it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus' whole mission was an operation of liberation. For freedom, Christ freed us. Doing things in order to merit salvation is slavery. And Paul talked about not being burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So with the slavish issues behind us, we then go on to say, I've got a blank sheet of paper. It's time to make good. It's time to make progress. Start anew. That's what the Christian life is about. It's starting a new life. Being born again of the Holy Spirit. I was told off last week for putting my van keys on top of a Bible. The person moved the keys off of the Bible and put them somewhere else. I didn't say he could take hold of my keys and move them. I heard a Christian man many years ago who would not walk through a park on a Sunday because he didn't want to be the reason for others to work on a Sunday for its upkeep. You take that to its logical conclusion, it sounds quite stupid really, doesn't it? You say, I won't switch on my lights, it means that people have got to work on a Sunday, I won't turn on the gas, I won't do these things. But it's strange how even in our Christian environment things come in which take us away from the freedom that God has given us in Christ Jesus. Being a Christian is actually in its simplest form taking intentional action upon what Jesus did for us at Calvary and in what he directed through the things that he taught. A new beginning, I've said that, and it's a progressive plan for us. Not one of conformity to rules and regulations, but one in which he works in partnership with us to liberate us from a slavish servitude to being sons in a bountiful, progressive family that has an amazing inheritance. That's the Christian family. But it's strange, you know, how the things that put people off of church, they say, well, if I start going to church and be a Christian, it stops me from all doing all the things that I like doing. You know? See, Christianity is the idea of slavery. And the whole idea and the concept of freedom is not there. But we could easily think that, you know, as we, as we come to these two lists, if you like. The sinful nature, which is the works of the flesh, and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. I just want to check here this morning. You know, no one should or can presume to take for granted that they have acceptance with God without the assurance that commands confidence in our spirit. Freedom from guilt is one of the greatest experiences known that is supernaturally transferred to our possession. And I just wanted to halt there for a moment. You can't take for granted that you have acceptance. As I look around the room this morning, maybe you're here with just a little faith this morning. Maybe, in a sense, someone might be trying to reach out to God. But you can't take for granted that you have acceptance with God this morning. But you can know it. It can be supernaturally transferred to us when we come to know Jesus Christ 
the Saviour. Because the Bible says, and we're beginning with the Spirit now, one of the things that the Holy Spirit gives us when we become Christians and we believe us in what he's done for us, it says the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Now, I can't do that, and none of you can do it for someone else. We might say to someone, yeah, you're a Christian, I know you are. I can see by the things that you do that you're a Christian. But you know, progression in the Christian life begins with the assurance that we are Christians. It's a supernatural thing, and I just want to ask you, have you got that this morning? Are you absolutely certain that God's accepted you? Have you any doubt about it? If you have, God can take away that doubt because when we want to progress with God in the Christian life, he needs to take that doubt away. He wants to remove it. And he takes it away by giving us his Holy Spirit when we receive and welcome the Holy Spirit as the one who confirms. He gives confidence to our spirit that we can say, yes, I know that I'm a Christian. There's no doubt about it, I know, because what Jesus has done is that which has done it for me. That's where the progression starts. It's starting a life with Jesus. Starting a life with him. So our spirit has now become activated. And the principal way that God communicates with us through the book, the Bible. So God has given his Holy Spirit, and he's a communicator. He's a communicator of biblical truth to our spirits. It's supernaturally conveyed to us so that the Bible goes from being a book of information to a world of revelation. It goes from being a book of information to a world of revelation. You know, that's one of the greatest steps in progression that a Christian can make, to know that this book is not merely historical facts, but it's God working out a great plan of redemption in his earth to put right what was done at the beginning when Adam and Eve sinned. So the Holy Spirit supernaturally transforms this book to our understanding when it ceases to be a book of information and becomes a world of revelation. That's the wonder of the Bible. When I used to go into the schools with the Bibles, I used to take, and I've said this before, so excuse me for repeating it, but I used to take um, a little stone that looked like a bean seed Uh, and the bean seed itself and if I put the stone in the ground it won't grow it won't develop into life or anything else like that but if I put that seed into the ground it has life in it and it produces fruit and it's like that with the Bible and other books the Holy Spirit himself compiled this book in his own way in his own time through the people that he chose so that it might be a world of revelation to us and not just stale information, historical information. That's the wonder of the book. So progression starts 
with knowing that these things are put together for us, for our benefit, and for our blessing. And that can be the real main source of help. If, if, if we don't read our Bibles, we're losing an opportunity for God to speak to us. You know? If we don't read our Bibles, we're losing an opportunity for gospel character to be developed in our life. So I just wanted to challenge us to take the book. Take the book and read it. And I guarantee you, the more you read it, the more gospel character will develop in our lives. Because it challenges us. This writer said it's the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you see, he takes it and he cuts apart and gets to the core of the problem. It exposes, you know, it exposes our deep need. Now the things we're going to read in, uh, in this first list, talking about the acts of the sinful nature. In some versions, the sinful nature is called the flesh. And um, Paul is putting one against the other here, what we are and how we live sometimes. And he wants to actually take us out of that and progress to that. That's why we have the two lists, and not the one. It's a prog- we're a work in progress. Now, these, some of these things that we go on to look at now will be sensitive and raw, but we need to do them because they're part of what's in here. In the realm of sex, this world is living on a time bomb purely on the fact of sexual immorality. Purely on the fact of sexual immorality. And through our group of churches, we have been asked to consider seriously, to take into fact, you know, it is one thing that could destroy the church. It is one thing that could destroy the church. Sexual immorality. So Paul says, here's sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Now they're basically to do with physical perversion of anything within the area of sex that's outside of the natural, outside of marriage and the natural realm. Debauchery has to do with any time, anywhere, any way in which a person may achieve gratification beyond the natural created order. It's a time bomb waiting to explode an open and reckless contempt of propriety. Maybe John Stott's words, not mine. It's a time bomb. God wants to save his world from a time bomb because it will just cause the world to implode on itself. A bit like Noah's day. You know, when God saw the wickedness of the whole earth, he said it was so great, so I've got to do something about it. Why? Not because God didn't know about it, but because humanity would get into such suffering and agony spiritually because of the way that they were going bestiality and all that it leaves to depravity yes it displeases God but at his heart it's his love for us 
He's saying, don't go there. Don't go there. You'll destroy yourself. Whatever your experience has been, a contempt of propriety. Our world doesn't seem to have any propriety any longer in some areas. You can't say every area. But as Christians, we have to live. We have to face it. We have to deal with it. The second area is in the realm of religion. Paul talks, um, he talks about idolatry and witchcraft. These are acts of the sinful nature he's talking about. This is what we would do, let to ourselves, going any way we want to, with gay abandon. You know, idolatry and witchcraft, idolatry is that which is openly displayed and, I, and witchcraft is that which is secretly, secretly pursued. Secretly pursued. The things which are dark and uncovered, which are spiritual and in our darkness, things like Ouija boards and things like, which go, I don't really know what goes on in witchcraft, I'm, I'm not with an authority to say, but I know that they happen. They happen here quite openly in Herne Bay. I know that much. But these things are actually what happen when we're left to ourselves outside of God. And it's like this. It's a secret tampering with the powers of evil. Trying to contact the dead is just one of them. It's a secret tampering with the powers of evil. Because without God and Christ in our life, we're in danger. We're in danger. So that's why the Bible talks about the gospel being a work of salvation. Because essentially what Christ has done for us is a rescuing work. It says, Paul said, He's delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. That's deliverance. And that's the way we should approach some of these things not sticking around in the middle. It's being delivered from one and translated into the other. And some, sometimes we can just wallow around in these grey areas of life and not being decisive about those things which Christ has given us the power to deal with. That's why we go on to the other stuff in the meeting. The realm of society is the next one the realm of society talks about relationships, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, and selfish ambitions. Those things which bring a breakdown in personal relationships. Earlier on, Paul had, uh, had, had spoken, and he's talking about these things. Don't let them come in amongst you, because they'll just break you up as a group, as a community of people. Our families are breaking apart because of a breakdown in relationships. The cause is that these are things of the sinful nature in the realm of society. You know, we go out there and we do these things and we seem to be unable to learn what God wants us to do, to have that character, to have that propriety which honours God, honours the gospel, and actually honours ourselves. 
I think most of us feel good, you know, if we do something which is right. Well, I felt really good this last week because um, I'd ordered one piece of uh, metal about that, about two metres long. When it got delivered to me, I only paid for one. When it got delivered to me, I had two bits delivered. I thought, whoa, that's good. That's a little gift. Maybe one of the bits damaged, and so they put in another bit. You thought, I thought, I can use that bit of metal. But then I had another nagging to me. That don't belong to you. You haven't paid for it. I thought, oh, dear. This is a tough one. It only costs 30 quid. And I thought to myself, hmm, I can use that in my garden. That's just right. And, um, oh, oh, hello. That's not what I think it's earlier. So, um, <laughs> so I thought, and this nagged me for two days. So I thought, I've got to do it. So I phoned up, up the people. I thought, you know, if I'm honest, they'll give it to me. They'll say we won't bother to collect it up. It cost, it'll, it'll, cost, it'll cost them more than 30 quid to pick it up. And so I said, I paid for one and you sent two. Oh, he said, thank you for your honesty. We'll come and pick it up. <laughs> But it's getting from one thing to the other, isn't it? You know? It's in these small things. But you know, these things can be a break. I mean, if I did that, if I did the other thing, um, I remember when these local electrical um, wholesalers down here, they, they mischarged me. They, they undercharged me quite a bit of money. I think it was about £500. And they hadn't noticed it. And so I went back and, you know, said, look, and said, oh, I think they're more embarrassed at getting it wrong than anything. But she's actually putting it right. We have the opportunity to change society by the things that we do. Breakdown in personal relationships, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions. John Stock puts it this way, a canvassing for support for my personal ego and ambitions. Canvassing for opportunities to support my personal ego and ambitions. And I'm highlighting this because I think this is a problem in the church. I've sensed a bit of it in my life. I know what it is to be in that place where you want to promote yourself and what you can do. And you actually hang around people. You can actually hang around people. Maybe they'll ask me to do this. Well, you might say, you might go up and say, did you know, did you know I can do this? And, did you know I can do that? And uh, we, we hang around people, and actually what it is, we've got something within ourselves that want to do something, that's, that's God's not intention for us to do it. And in our lives, we might be pursuing that and pursuing it and pursuing it. And Paul calls that a selfish ambition. And I find that it's quite a lot of it going on in the church. I remember when I, early on, when I started, I didn't want to preach, but this sort of situation I was in, you had to preach, you know, all men had to preach. Whatever, whatever rubbish they spoke, they had to preach. It's still happening now, you know that, don't you? you can see it happening. So, um, But um, you had to preach, you know, it's what men did, it's what men did thing. And um, it suddenly hit me one day, I don't want to do this. I will only do it if someone asks me, and I'll be satisfied with that. And it happened. And 
I didn't necessarily feel I was capable or able to do it. And I thought to myself, well, it's not right. God, if it's not God's intention, it won't happen. And that's the way I've looked at it since. But I had opportunities to circulate amongst people and tell them what I thought I could do. But it was something I had to lay down and put aside. It's that pursuing, it's canvassing for support of my ego and for my personal ambitions. You know, God has gifts for us in the church to do. And you know, if he wants you to do it, he'll create the situation, the opportunity for you to do it. And other people will recognize it and agree with God. That's it. You don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to tell anybody. So these are the things that actually, in the realm of society, can create breakdown in personal relationships. Then there's the realm of desperation. And I just want to mention these things, and these are the sensitive areas which I was talking about. And uh, the word that's used, um, the word that's used here, is uh, is um, I can't remember it now. But anyway, it's debauchery, that's right. It's not linked to, this one is not linked to drink and stuff like that. Debauchery is something like this. It's the realm of desperation when we take substance abuse and alternative therapy to fulfill a need that we have. Now, this is a very sensitive area, I know that. Comfort eating. I'm not saying it's wrong. But there's things which can destroy us, you know? It's not the fact that we comfort eat. The fact is that we can't break free from it when we want to. You know? Sometimes that happens, comfort eating. And I'm sensitive about it, and I'm not, I'm not judging anybody, getting anybody, but it's something, you know, some people are desperate to break free from it. Desperate. Desperate to break free from it. Destructive therapy. In China, you remember, I forget which missionary it was, but they used to have to wear these small shoes to make, the, make their feet small because small feet were beautiful. You know, they had to wear these small shoes. That's a sort of destructive therapy, isn't it? To beautify themselves. Forced vomiting in order that you might get fat. Self-harming. Alternative therapy, debauchery, a strange wandering from the normal things of life. Paul talked about the gratifying of the sinful nature. The sexual realm is getting so experimental and beyond that which is natural because it's a creating an additional, keep seeking for an extra experience and another pleasure and another pleasure and another pleasure. Think, the further you keep going, you have to keep trying for others. But it's when you can't break out of it. Drowning your sorrows, drugs and alcohol, dulling the agony, emptiness, loneliness, frustration are all things contained within the understanding of the word debauchery. A gay abandon to things which destroy me. And God wants to save us from them, He wants us to progress from being that 
to knowing the power of God, to knowing victory. It says there, and I found this a strange verse, in verse 21, it says, people who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it's not written in the, in the tone of condemnation or judgment. It's just being quite factual about the matter. And it's the people, he's saying it like this, doers of these things cannot be inheritors of the kingdom of God. So what he's saying is, continually doing these things as a means of pursuing my gain and my pleasure and fulfilling my life will prevent me knowing the power of the kingdom of God that will change society, change my world, and change my church. In other words, the two don't mix. There has to be an intentional, deliberate release from the things which don't help people. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Primarily, it's not about salvation and ultimate acceptance by God, but it is living with those things that turn around my life, change society, change our world. In a sense, it's knowing the power and gaining of victory. You know, if Christianity offers is only a continual sense of defeat, if Christianity just conveys my continual defeat in life, you've lost it. Forget it. Being a Christian and knowing Jesus Christ as Saviour is being able to forget and deal with those things which destroy my life to move on with the power which is known in the kingdom of God. The power for release and joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Now he's talking about the way forward. The way forward is with God's Holy Spirit in our lives, directing us and knowing, knowing our forgiveness, knowing we have hope, knowing there's a way forward that we can progress beyond where we are. It's declaring war. Quickly, love, joy, and peace, they're essential virtues of a Christian, but they also shout loudly about our life with God because love is that which we connect with God. He's connected with us by love, and we connect with God with love. Joy is the experience we get in the Holy Spirit when he comes into our lives. It's not depending on happenings. It's now depending on a spiritual reaction, which is joy. And peace, knowing peace with God and peace in our life. You know, this is the way forward, the way of the Spirit is progress, patience, kindness, goodness, social virtues, manhood, faithfulness, gentleness, self control, integrity, selfhood. Integrity, selfhood. So I have a part in this, you know, faithfulness, progress, making forward. And I want to finish with this. I took this from John Stott's words. He said, the way of Christian victory is the cross. The way of Christian victory is the cross. It's something like this. Those things which have taken over our lives and we can't get free from is declaring war and intentional killing 
is taking up the cross. Now, when Jesus was crucified, it was an intentional killing by the people around him. And God allowed that to happen as he intended to deal with our sin. And Paul talks about us taking up the cross. And it's actually, yes, we're free from our sin, but we have to take action with those things that destroy us. And it's like this. It's taking my wrongdoing that I know and I hate and I want to get rid of, walking with it to a place of execution, and actually make sure the execution took place. You know? Now that might sound a little bit involved. It's deep theologically. It's deep spiritually. But I just want to ask you, do you want to make an end of your sin with God's help? Do you want to make an end of those things which destroy, which can destroy your life? And just actually destroying other people. The cross has power. And when Jesus died, he was actually doing it. He became sin for us so that we might progress to his grace. I just want to finish and um, if anybody feels that, you know, there's just things they want to deal with. I was reminded of a verse earlier. Jesus' work in our lives is delivering us from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his Son. No in-between ground. We can't hang about in the middle destroying our lives and destroying other people's lives. We've got to deal with it. It's freedom, but it's responsibility as well. And it's bringing my sin and get rid of it. Get rid of it at the cross. You won't go anywhere else. You won't get it any other way. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his son. The place, the kingdom where there's power. The kingdom where there's power. So Father, we just thank you so much for what Jesus has done for us. Thank you, Father, that we're not just talking about a mamby-pamby meeting here, Father, of a good, jolly people. Father, we're just talking about holy ground where our sin is dealt with and we're made new creatures in Christ. In you, Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for the power of the cross. And we thank you, Father, that we're a work in progress. Help us to follow that path towards living in the Spirit. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, Father. Thank you so much for him. Thank you that he speaks and listens and understands. Draws alongside us to help us. Come, Holy Spirit, in this moment of challenge and help us to do the thing that we need to do. In Jesus' name. Thank you.